This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The guest speaker is featured on this message. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2, if you would. And Craig, thank you for that faith-building introduction. Don't blow it. I don't think I've ever heard that introduction before. <laughs> um, Craig, as Craig mentioned, he asked me to speak on this issue of racism, uh, not only because it is something that uh, is a response really to the, the events of the last couple of weeks, but something that is important to me and I believe to our family of churches. And hearing that I'm speaking on the issue of race and racism, it, it might elicit some different responses from you. Anything from, well, it's about time, to this doesn't really apply to me. I say that because when it comes to the issue of ethnicity and race, people, including Christians, we can adopt these different stances when it comes to the issue of racism. One stance is that of denial. Denial says racism is no longer a major problem in our country. It rejects the category of white privilege and says that God is colorblind and that we should be too. Another stance is that of accusation which is always seeing racism in others and quick to, to say, you're, that, to call another person a racist but never sees any racism in themselves. Another stance is that of apathy, which means you really don't care about this issue because it doesn't affect you in the day-to-day of your life. So you see, denial buries its head, accusation, it points the finger, and apathy is off to the side taking a nap. See, regardless of our perspectives on the issue of racism, we, we as Christians, we must submit ourselves to God's word and be willing to have God's word challenge us and to change us on this issue of race and racism. And the only way that that kind of challenge that brings change by the word of God, the only way that happens in our lives, you, you know this well, is through the work of the Holy Spirit. To, to change and to grow in Christ, we, we need the work of the Spirit in our lives. We need the power of the Spirit to bring Scripture to life. And where there is racism in our hearts, convict us so that we can repent and we can change. And so even preparing for this sermon again and thinking about this issue again, I feel my need for the Spirit. And I want you to feel the need for the Spirit as well this morning. So before we even read this text. Let us, let's pray for the Spirit's work. Let's pray. Lord, as uh, we sang earlier, um, you have overcome. You have overcome our sin, and you have overcome death, and you have overcome Satan, and forever you reign, and forever you will receive glory. And because of that, because of the shed blood of Christ, we can draw near to your throne of grace this morning, and we want you to hear our need. We need you, Lord, and we need your word to challenge us and to change us, and for that to occur, we also need the Spirit. So fill us with your Spirit. We pray for the work and the activity of the Spirit to illuminate Scripture, to convict us in our hearts where there may be any racism in our lives, and we pray that the Spirit would help us to change as you give us grace. Uh, We desire to do that, Lord, not in response to a social issue, but in response to what you've done for us in the cross because this is a gospel issue. So help us, Lord. Change us, Lord, so that we can live out this gospel in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. We pray this all in his great name, amen. James chapter two, we're gonna read verses one through nine. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made 
distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, you not, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. As Craig mentioned and as he talked about last week, we had a Diff, or, uh, talked about last week, we had a difficult time in our country two weeks ago. On July 5th, Alton Sterling, a, a 37-year-old African-American father and husband of three, was shot in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The next day, Philando Castile was pulled over for a traffic stop, and as he went for his registration, was shot, and he died as his girlfriend and her daughter sat in the car. And then on the following day, something you know well and know intimately, after a peaceful protest here in the Dallas area, Micah Johnson, an African-American man, shot and killed five white police officers. And that all happened only about a year after nine people were murdered at Emanuel AME church in Charleston, South Carolina. Those headlines, those recent events, they tell us that racism is clearly an issue in our world and in our country. But racism is not just a social issue, it's a spiritual one. Because racism is a sin that is as old as Genesis and as contemporary as Minneapolis and Baton Rouge and Dallas. And James shows us clearly here that racism is the sin of partiality. We know that because the word partiality that James uses here in chapter 2, verse 1, it has much broader application than the, the way it's applied here with reference to showing partiality to the rich or the poor, how someone dresses it. Addresses. We know that because the Old Testament repeatedly stresses that God Himself is impartial, and we, as the people of God, are to imitate Him by showing no partiality. And this is truth about God that Paul talks about in Romans chapter two, where there, where he's dealing with an ethnic, a racial, racial issue in the church, where the Greeks and the Jews are just not getting along. He's telling them, "You need not to judge one another." And if they do judge one another, Paul says that they are liable for that sin because God shows no partiality. Romans chapter two, verse eleven. That, that word partiality that's used in Romans 2 verse 11 is the same word that James uses here in James chapter 2 verse 1, which means that partiality is sin. So what is, what is racism? Let's, let's define it. Here's a, here's a definition that I'm using. Racism is the sin of partiality that is seen in attitudes and actions that distinguishes or values one race over other races and is a denial of the biblical truth that all people are made in the image of God. That's a mouthful of a definition, isn't it? So let me read it again. Racism is the sin of partiality seen in attitudes and actions that distinguishes or values one race over other races and is a denial of the biblical truth that all human beings are created in the image of God. Racism is what James warns against here in chapter 2 verse 4 when he says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Racism is the sin of partiality because you break the royal law 
of loving your neighbor as yourself, James chapter two, verse eight. Racism is a sin because you dishonor people who have been made in the image of God. Tony Evans, the well-known African-American pastor who leads Oak Cliff Bible Church here in the Dallas area says that racism is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. And I think Tony is right. Uh, Racism is an issue that I care very much about. Care very much about it personally. Um, It's something that I have held out for our family of churches to grow in in racial and ethnic diversity, which means, as Craig said, we must grow in racial reconciliation. And even though I care about this issue very much, I still see racism in my own heart. Recently, I was, just a few months ago, I was driving through my neighborhood and I saw an African-American man walking on the sidewalk that I had not seen before. And this was my instinctive thought. What are you doing here? It's a racist thought. It's a sinful thought. This past um, winter, or actually last fall, we had some storm damage done on our home. And so we had to have the roof replaced. And it was this spring that a, that a crew showed up, the company we contracted with. And this crew was an entirely Hispanic crew. And they, they basically spoke no English except one guy who spoke some broken English. And so I'm trying to talk with the crew leader about some work in a particular area of the roof that I wanted to make sure he was aware of. And we're just having trouble communicating because of the language barrier and the thoughts and the attitudes that I had toward him and them at that moment were sinful. I judged them. I looked down upon them. In preparing this message, I actually shared this a year ago at our church, Covenant Fellowship Church in the Philadelphia area. In preparing for it, I I gathered a number of African-American and Asian-American and and white American folks into a group, and I said to them, look, I I feel a need for you to help me. I, I I wanna understand a number of things. I have a number of questions for you, and one of them is, I wanna understand how you experience racism in the day of the day of your lives. One African-American mom says this, uh, routinely when I go into a store, my children are always followed throughout the store. She lives with that daily. There's an African-American man um, that was a part of this group and he said, "I've, I've lived in my neighborhood, Mark, for 15 years. A lot of people know me, but when I can walk or take a jog in my neighborhood, fairly routinely I'm followed by the police just because of the color of my skin. There's a a biracial couple in this group, Jay Lyles, who's an African-American man, and now Deb Lyles, who is a a, a Caucasian woman, and they talked about the the stares that they get routinely when they're in restaurants sharing a meal together. There was uh, an Asian-American brother, Nathan Jin. He's just a wonderful brother. He's an attorney. He plays on a worship team. He plays the cello. He said, look, Mark, most people think only Asian-Americans play stringed instruments. (laughs) (laughs) Racism is the sin of partiality where we distinguish or value one race over another in our attitudes and in our actions. So let me ask you, what is your response when an entire Hispanic crew that speaks no English comes to work on your house? How do you think about them? What is your first response when you see an African-American man or woman walking through your neighborhood? Or or what is your response when you hear that a Caucasian white officer has to to use his gun in a tough situation and an African-American is shot? Do Do you automatically assume that that was racially motivated? See, racism isn't just out there. It's in here. It's in our hearts and it's in the church of Jesus Christ and it's wrong. It's wrong. So what do we do? What do we do in response to this this racism, this partiality that we can see in our hearts at times? What do we do with racism? Two points I wanna give you. Number one, racism is a sin 
that is fought with good theology. Racism is a sin that is fought with good theology. Now let, let's be honest, racism is a, an emotionally charged issue, understandably so. But to understand racism, we must move beyond the visceral in the moment and we must, we must be informed and shaped by God's word. So what I wanna do is to give you some theological categories that you can use to fight racism, any racism that you might see in your life. And when I use this term theology, I'm using it broadly, meaning that theology is the study that seeks to understand God and his purposes in the world. That's how I'm using the the term theology. So what what are the theological categories that we can use to fight racism? Let's start with this one. I've mentioned it already. All people are created in the image of God. God. That's a theological truth. All people are created in the image of God. We know that very early in our Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. In other words, all peoples of all races and of all ethnicities have been created in the image of God and therefore they have equal dignity and equal value in God's sight. So that truth alone leaves no room for racial superiority and, or of any kind because all people of all color, of all races, of all ethnicities, they have this remarkable status before God because they've been made in his image. Racism is a sin because it it violates this equalitarian principle that all races and ethnicities are created in God's image. Now, we gotta be careful with this. It, It doesn't mean that ethnic diversity is irrelevant or racial diversity is irrelevant. It doesn't mean that God is colorblind and and that ethnic and racial diversity doesn't matter. Actually, rather the opposite is true. Because we are created in God's image, it means that ethnic and racial diversity is a beautiful thing and should be celebrated in the church of God. So when you meet someone for the first time, and you begin to form wrong opinions about them because of their skin color, or because of the accent they use when they speak, or maybe because of their facial features, in that moment, you are not thinking theologically. You're not remembering that this person has been made in the image of God. Fight racism that you see in your life and in your heart by seeing all people the way God sees them made in his image. Okay, here's another theological category I wanna give you. The biblical storyline is multi-ethnic and multiracial. The biblical storyline is multi-ethnic and multiracial. A study of the people of the Old Testament reflect a wide range of races and ethnicities. Obviously, there's the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but there's also the Cushites, And those are black Africans, the Egyptians, which are probably a mix of Asiatic and black Africans, and the Philistines Philistines and the Hittites, which were Indo-Europeans. We know from Genesis chapter 10 that the common humanity that descended from Noah after the flood included the Cushites, for example, that that were black Africans. And Numbers chapter 12, verse one, It's that story where Miriam and Aaron, they they grumble and they complain against Moses because Moses had married a Cushite woman. Remember, Cushites are black Africans, so they're complaining against Moses because he marries a, a black woman and enters into an interracial marriage and it causes quite a stir. We see that in our history of scripture. Just just a quick sidetrack. This is one of the reasons I'm really grateful for our senior pastor back home, Jared Mellinger. He's he's publicly said to our church and he's made it very, very clear that, that, that biracial marriages are something that we want in our church and then we're gonna stand with them and, and we are going to love them. It's something that we want to mark our church. The other thing along with that is we've had families probably like you who've adopted children from, from different countries and they're of different skin color, different ethnicities. We wanna celebrate that in the church of Jesus Christ because it, it maps onto the biblical storyline that we see in scripture. 
You see the same racial and ethnic diversity in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, Simeon, who is called Niger, uh, is a black African man who is introduced to us as one of the leaders at the church there in Antioch. Paul is clearly of Jewish descent, but one of his associates that we read about throughout the, Old Te- or the New Testament, Tychicus, is clearly of Asian descent. He's an Asian man. Now, it's important that we capture the, the multiracial and multi-ethnic biblical storyline accurately because white North American Christianity has this strong historical tendency to be ethnocentric and to project Caucasian people back into the biblical storyline in a way that is just simply not accurate. And so if I could just take a moment and just speak to my white brothers and sisters that are, are sitting in this room. The biblical storyline isn't as white as we might think it is. And we need to realize that and we need to understand that. We need to actually celebrate that. One of the ways that we fight racism is to, is to come to grips with the multiracial context of the storyline of Scripture. And by the way, for the parents that are here in the room, make sure that when you're teaching your kids the Bible, it includes a multiracial and multi-ethnic storyline as a part of the Bible. Make sure that you do that. When they bring those coloring pages home, if they receive them in Grace Kids, get all the crayons out and color them up right. Color them up accurately. Put some color in there to to reflect an accurate biblical storyline. Okay, here's another theological category. God's redemptive plan to save sinners is multi-ethnic and multiracial. God's plan to save sinners, redemptive plan to save sinners is multi-ethnic and multi-racial. It was referenced earlier in what was read in the call to worship. Genesis 12 introduces us to God's redemptive plan to save people of all races and of all ethnicities and of all nations when he says to Abraham, sending him from his country in Genesis 12 verse 3, in you all the families, not just one family, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this plan, this plan points to and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're on the cross. He dies for the sins of people from all nations and all ethnicities and all races through his work on the cross. Paul says it this way very succinctly in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God promised that he would bless all families of the earth and he keeps that promise by sending his son Jesus Christ who brings salvation through his death and resurrection that we sang about earlier and all of those who play who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ alone they are added into one new family the family of God and it is a multiracial multicolor multiethnic family You see, any hint of racism in our hearts opposes the central theme of Scripture. It's that serious. Any hint of racism in our hearts opposes the central theme of Scripture, the redemption of people from all nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God alone. Therefore, it is, it's hypocritical of us to proclaim Christ's crucified on the cross that saves sinners and creates a new single community in Christ. It's it's hypocritical of us to hold that, to believe that, to teach that, and at the same time, tolerate racism in our hearts and in our lives. Let this be a church. And please pray, let our family of churches known as Sovereign Grace be a a family of churches that proclaims the gospel to all people. And let this be a church, let it be a church family, let us be a family of churches that is multi-ethnic and multi-racial, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares something grand about the gospel.
pray for that and work for that. In this meeting that I had with, uh, it was probably about 14, 15 folks before I put this message together, I'm just asking for their input. I, I began the, the, the time by just saying, look, I just feel like I really need your help. I'm a, I'm a white man and this is primarily a, a white suburb and I just feel like we need a lot of help because I, we're primarily a white church. It was about, uh, about 10 minutes into the conversation, one uh, African-American sister of mine very, very graciously and gently said to me, Mark, we are not a white church. And when you say that, you alienate every other race and ethnicities, all the other races and ethnicities that are in this church. And I was convicted by that. She was right, I was wrong. I apologized, I, I have banished, in my, in my repentance, I'm not using that language anymore, because I was wrong. I have no desire to alienate folks who have been saved in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not any folks, but certainly those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So now I'm saying this, and I want you to consider calling Grace Church a gospel church. A gospel church where racial and ethnic diversity is welcomed, appreciated, and celebrated for the glory of Jesus Christ. Call yourselves that. Okay, another theological category. God's mission is multi-ethnic and multi-racial. God's mission is a multi-ethnic and multi-racial mission. Proof of that is clearly seen in a text like Acts chapter 10 where through a series of events, as you well know, Peter is convicted actually of his own racism, of avoiding the, quote, unclean Gentiles, saying in Cornelius' house, one of these unclean Gentiles, this in Acts chapter 10 verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality statement of his conviction that God shows no partiality. In that moment, Peter repents of his own partiality, opening the door for the gospel to be proclaimed to Jews and Gentiles. Thank God for that. Amen. It's what, it's what Paul captures in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no distinction. Notice the, the distinction language. It's very similar to what we see in James, isn't it? Paul says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We can put in here white and black, Asian and Hispanic. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, any hint of racism in our hearts works against the multi-ethnic and multi-racial of mission, of mission for God to save sinners through the gospel of Jesus Christ because, because it reaches all people. So let me ask you a question. This is something I'm wrestling with in my own life. Um, what is the demographic of people that you are reaching out to? Are they just of one race? Are they just of one ethnicity? And pray that God, if it is, pray that God would give you opportunities to reach people of all nations. Because more people from all nations, they are living around us. Okay, last theological category I want to give you. Eternity will be multi-ethnic and multi-racial. That day we long for, when we're there, in the new heavens and new earth, that's going to be a multi-ethnic and multi-racial event. God's redemptive plan to save sinners is seen at the cross. The culmination, the, the culmination of that event is seen at the cross, but the consummation of that event is realized in the new heavens and the new earth where people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will worship God. John captures it this way in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I mean, stop there for a moment. John transports us to that day, that day we long for, that day we pray for, that day that we can't wait for. That day, what we're going to see is a multitude that no one can number. Wow, stunning, isn't it? But look how this multitude is comprised. 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and with really one voice singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Eternity's picture of all peoples from all races and ethnicities united in, in Christ, that picture of that day needs to affect how we live in this day. It does. That day needs to affect this day and the way we live in the here and now. So if you don't much like the Hispanic guy or the white woman or the black man that may be sitting next to you in your community group, guess what? You're going to be spending eternity together. So it might be a good idea to get to know them and relate to them and love them and understand them. And as Craig said so well last week, learn from them as you listen to them. That's, that affects how we live now, doesn't it? No, we're gonna be sitting next to them potentially in eternity. Here's my point, good theology, it functions in our lives. It's not just head knowledge, it's not just for scholars. Good theology, functions in our lives. It is inconsistent of us to hold these theological truths that I just held out. There isn't a new theological truth I gave you. Craig has taught you well. The pastors here have taught you well. It is inconsistent of us to hold these theological truths on the one hand and have any hint of racism in our hearts on the other hand that rejects these theological truths. We're inconsistent in our lives as Christians if we do that. These biblically rooted theological truths are given to us to help us understand the issue of race and to expose racism in our hearts and they're given to us to help us fight racism when we do see it in our hearts. But but what do we do when we do see it? And my guess most of us will not being presumptuous, don't, don't know your heart, I hope you understand, but my guess at times most of us will see racism in our hearts at times. What do we do? That leads to my second point. Racism is a sin that finds its cure in the gospel. Racism is a sin that finds its cure in the gospel. According to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, a verse you know, a verse that is printed is on, etched in stone, on a foundation stone, on the front of this church, Grace Church, that all who walk in here see Ephesians 2 verse 8. According to Ephesians 2 8, we we as Christians, we have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ by what? By the grace of God alone, that free gift of grace. James 2 1 then says to us that we are to hold this faith that we have been given by grace. We are to hold this faith in Christ by having no partiality in our hearts. One of the ways we hold this faith is to have no partiality in our hearts and in our relationships and in our churches. You see, this is Jesus' church. Christ towers over all of us white and black, Asian and Hispanic, African and Indian. We all have been united in the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us in the gospel. That gospel truth calls a gospel community to deal with racism that is in our lives and in our midst and in our church by applying that gospel to our lives. That's what the gospel calls us to do. So here's the question, how do we do that? How do we take the gospel and how do we apply it to our lives when it comes to the issue of race and racism? Let me just give you some ways. First, when you are convicted of racism, confess it. Confess it first to God and ask for his forgiveness and then ask others for their forgiveness. Sometimes I think we quickly go past this and forget the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness has power. Forgiveness heals. I think probably the, one of the best illustrations I've seen of this was about a year ago when Dylan Roof was being charged in court. Do you remember that? He's got two guards around him and through video he's being charged in court. 
And in this court, there are family members and friends of those nine that were shot in Emmanuel AME Church there in Charleston. And do you remember what they did? They forgave Dylan Roof. He just killed their loved ones. It's a terrorist act. They walked up and they forgave him. It was powerful. When, when I saw that, I was brought to tears. When I saw that, I thought, those are gospel people. They know the gospel. And man, they are living it out right now. Don't forget the power of forgiveness. It heals. Second, we repent of racism by applying the gospel. This way, specifically, I would say, by by applying the the royal law that's mentioned here in James chapter 2, verse 8. What is that royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of the ways that we we apply the gospel in our lives. So here's some ways. I'm going to give you some ways of how to apply the royal law, how to love others as you love yourself. Here um, Here is one way. We love by showing hospitality to people of other races and ethnicities. We love by showing hospitality to people of other races and other ethnicities. Let me, let me tell you why I'm saying that. In Romans chapter 12, verse nine, Paul says to us, your love must be genuine. It must be genuine. And then the rest of that part of the chapter, down through verse 21, he gives several descriptors of genuine love. And one of the descriptors of genuine love that we find is that we show hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. One of the folks that, I, that we met with in this group that I gathered, he, he said something, uh, Joel Gaines, a good friend of mine, said something that I thought was, was, was really helpful. He said this, what you believe about race and racism can be seen by who is sitting around your dinner table. He's right. And if it's ethnocentric and it, over time, if, it, if, it doesn't, if your dinner table isn't over time made up of different races and different ethnicities, then you've, you've, that's a, a way to apply the gospel. It's a way to love others by extending hospitality. It was on this point that I was actually convicted personally. There was a, in this group uh, an African-American uh, man that has been in our church for um, 16 years, and he said, look, I, I, over these 16 years, I've only been in the homes of a few white people. And yet I know him. He's had people of all races and of all ethnicities as in his home. He and his wife, they just do a great job of hospitality, and there's a mix of people in their home all the time. And I thought in that moment, have, I, have we ever had Rodney over and his wife? And we hadn't. I was putting this message together, I actually called him, just asked for his forgiveness. He had taught me something. I need to learn about applying to the royal law. This is a weakness for Jill and me. It's an area that we're trying to grow in. So I hope you hear that in bringing something that's important, that I, I need grace. I need help. That's why I prayed for the Spirit before. See, regardless of your race or ethnicity, I'm not just speaking to white people. Regardless of your race or ethnicity, fulfill the royal law by inviting people of other races into your home over a meal and talk about the issue of racism. Which leads to another just suggestion I have to fulfill the royal law. We, we love by having humble, honest conversation about race and racism. And this is where I think Craig just led you so well last week. I listened to that. I just thought that was, that was just great leadership on your part, Craig. To, he called you to listen and to learn. We have to do that because when it comes to racism, there can be these huge gaps in how we understand the issue. And if we don't talk about it, those gaps remain and potentially they, are, they breed misunderstanding and potentially create offense and division. So let me, just, let me tell you, illustrate what I mean by that. In their book, Divided by Faith, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith found through a national survey of 2,500 Americans that two-thirds of white Americans, including evangelicals, believe that the situation for blacks is improving, while two-thirds of African Americans believe that the situation for blacks is deteriorating. That's like polar opposite. It's a big gap there. 
It's a quite, quite a big gap that we need to talk to one another about and seek to understand, as Craig said last week, why we have these differing perspectives. Let me just illustrate for you. Um, it was the July 1st, 2015 Wall Street Journal. This sort of stood out to me. On, one, on the same page, there was an article where Misty Copeland was the first African-American named a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater in New York City. It was, it was wonderful. It tells, you that, it tells you that we're making some progress as a country. We celebrate that. But on the same page of that paper, there was a Justice Department review that found that the police in Ferguson, Missouri used military tactics that actually escalated rather than ease the protests that were occurring there. I think it was the year before. So are we making some progress? Yes. Is there progress still to be made? Yes. And we have to listen and we have to understand one another. Love others by listening to people of other races and understand the racism and, and and how they, ask them how they experience it. Here's another finding from Emerson and Smith's research. Whites tend to see the issue of racism in individualistic terms, just in individualistic terms, while blacks see the problem extending beyond the individual to societal structures. So let me just tell you what I'm talking about. Um, but there, there can be a, just a number of white people who, who hear this word white privilege and bristle. Because white privilege, you're, you're thinking, I wasn't given any privileges. I worked hard. I've earned all the money that I've had to, to sort of build my life and build my family. And if an African-American heard that, we had this kind of conversation in this group, they would say, they want that for you. They understand that. They're not denying that at all. But what you don't understand is they work to do the same thing, to, to work to build a life and to work to build a family because of Jim Crow laws that were instituted after the Civil War and pretty much have remained, remained in effect legally through the Civil Rights era and still have a lingering effect. Those Joe, Joe, uh, Jim Crow laws, what they did is they, they created educational, economical, and societal disadvantages, obstacles that had to be overcome. So when an African-American works to do the same thing we do as white people, they face obstacles we don't face. Institutional obstacles. We have to understand that. We have to come alongside of them in that. And, and to those of you that are, that are African-Americans, and we talked about this in our group, when white people share like, well, there's no white privilege, don't be quick to throw the race card down on the table and shut down the conversation. Can't do that. Fulfill the royal law by loving your neighbor as your Self. You see, we need to approach these conversations, as Craig said, as listeners and learners, being doers of the word, as James says. And James 1.19 says, here's a way to be a doer of the word. Be slow to speak, right? Be, I'm sorry, be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Knowing that these conversations, they could get a little tense at times. And when they do, stop and pray. And these discussions that we, we have together, pray for the work of the Spirit when convicted. Let's be, let's be doers of the word. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's healing that comes in that. There's healing that comes in forgiveness. Now that, that doesn't mean that you're gonna agree on any, everything. Agreement's not what I'm talking about. You're probably not going to you may not agree on everything you discuss, but what you want the other person you're talking to to walk away from that conversation and say, I know at least they listened and they sought to understand. If you take that step, that's huge. That's huge in the church of Jesus Christ. When I met with this group of African-American and Asian-American, uh, white American people, about 15 people we ended, it was, it was probably about a three-hour conversation. Um, got a little warm in the room obviously, temperature-wise. But we got, we got done with that conversation. Here's what we were all saying. Man, we gotta keep doing this. We gotta keep talking. And so consider how you might do that. Consider facilitating a conversation just by reading a book together. Let me, let me just make a book recommendation. Under Our Skin by Benjamin Watson. Benjamin Watson is a NFL uh, receiver. Um, he's played for the New Orleans Saints. And during that time, when he was in New Orleans, he actually went to the Sovereign Grace Church in New Orleans. And... Um, 
And by the way, if you're interested, Keith Collins, the senior pastor of that church, did an interview with, with Benjamin uh, that's really well done. He's now playing for the Ravens and is um, in the Baltimore area. But he wrote a book that really came from a blog post they wrote after the Ferguson issue. And this book is really well done. And so I would, I would recommend that you read that and possibly get together and discuss that together. Um, let me just say one other thing. If you're going to have conversation about the issue of race over social media, over Twitter, over Facebook, that kind of thing, and I wouldn't recommend that you do that. I, I don't think that's wise. But if, if you do that, I believe the royal law really almost commands you, almost calls you to go, go to that person face to face and sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. Don't hide behind your screen. Have that conversation face to face. Here's another way that we love. We, we love by abhorring what is evil. We love by abhorring what is evil. The very first descriptor of genuine love that you see in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, is abhor what is evil. Racism is evil, right? It's wrong. What happened in Baton Rouge, what happened in Minneapolis, what happened in Dallas two, here two weeks ago, it was wrong. And it can be loving to tell others that you know that racism is important to you and telling them that you believe it was evil. I, I say that because in this conversation we were having with um, this group I mentioned, there was an African-American sister who said this, you know, I have a, I have a lot of friends in this church, a lot of uh, friends of different ethnicities, white, Hispanic, Indian, and they come up to me after an event like the shootings a couple of weeks ago, and they ask me how I'm doing. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. But I, I just don't want to tell them how I'm doing. I want to know if this issue matters to them. Does it matter to them? That's what I want to hear. And so when you ask someone how they're doing, including that, what just happened was evil. That, that's, that's important to me and that's important to you. And so let's fight it with the gospel. Communicate that kind of thing. It communicates love. That's because racism is not someone else's issue. It's our issue. If you're in the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it's our issue. Okay, last recommendation how to fulfill the royal law. Our lo we, we love by fighting passivity through intentionality. We love by fighting passivity through intentionality. I think there is apathy probably in a lot of our lives until something occurs, a new cycle happens, and then it wakes us up of our apathy, and then the new cycle drops off and we drop back down to apathy. We have to fight that with intentionality. We can't be passive when it comes to the issue of race and, and racism. We're seeing that acutely in our world today. We can't have that in the church of Jesus Christ. So let us, be, let, us be, uh, let us love people of other races by intentionally moving toward them. Intentionally moving toward them and getting to know them and engaging them in conversations. So after church, as you're hanging out here, either in the lobby or outside, um, go to someone of another ethnicity or race, maybe that you don't talk to often or you haven't talked to maybe before, and go to them and introduce yourself and strike up a conversation with them. Just that step of initiative alone can be powerful because it's fulfilling the royal law. Grace Church, fight passivity on the issue of race through your intentionality. And, and let, us, let us pray for grace, not only here at Grace Church, but in our family of churches so that we can apply the gospel in our lives, so that we can be people who love, who, who fulfill the royal law, and in so doing, declare something to the world about the gospel. Now, let me, let me close with this. In, in addressing the, the issue of racism, I don't want to ignore the, the, that progress has been made in our country. I don't want to ignore that. We've made some progress in our country from the Emancipation Proclamation to the Civil Rights era of the 1960s. Some progress has been made. But our country won't eradicate rat racism simply by enacting laws or simply through court decisions, because laws and court decisions don't change hearts. That's why racism is a gospel issue that finds its cure in the gospel. And it's Jesus, brothers and sisters, it's Jesus who has entrusted all of us with the gospel. Here's, what Peter, here's how Peter defines us, the church of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are a 
chosen race. Interesting language, isn't it, in light of what we're talking about? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. The church is called to proclaim the excellencies of Christ you know, that, uh, 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 the excellence of Christ by living in unity in the midst of racial diversity, believing that as we apply the gospel and we love one another in a church that is racially and ethnically mixed, we, we offer a beacon of hope into a dark world that's in strife over racism and they see that there is hope in only one thing, that being the gospel of Jesus Christ. People get a glimpse of what that hope tangibly looks like when they see a gospel community living in unity while welcoming and appreciating and celebrating racial and ethnic diversity. And so brothers and sisters, let there be no racism among you. Let there be no racism among our family of churches. Rather, let us love one another in a way that authenticates this gospel message that we proclaim, asking God to add to our number people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation for the exaltation of God alone. Amen? Let's do that. Let's pray for that. Join me. Lord, these things that we have talked about today, they are well beyond us. Oh, but they're not beyond you. <laughs> and so we come to you again in prayer and we, we ask for power. We pray for help. We pray that you would convict us, any of us in this area of racism. We, we pray that you would forgive us when, when we are convicted as we come and as we confess to you. We, we pray for grace to repent and make changes in our lives by applying some of the things that I talked about today, give us grace for that. I pray for Grace Church that you would continue to allow them to be effective in proclaiming the gospel and reaching the lost and may the people they reach be from different races and different ethnicities. May this be a gospel-centered church that reflects its gospel centrality partly in a community, a gospel community that's living in unity. People from all tribes and tongues and nations, they, they're here. They are loving one another. May that offer hope to our dark world, but mostly may it bring you much glory. So do it, Lord, for that reason alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.